what he held as first ever. And the special knowledge of Ladies and gentlemen, to the Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We got a pretty good show tonight. Uh, we have returning John Pellin from the Center for American Experiments. Uh, we'll talk more about him in this due time. Martha Najolimi. Uh, uh, she's also an economist and she too works for the Center for American Experiment. And of course, uh, a good friend of the show, Jim Eccles a man who's basically served in Democratic administration, Republican administrations uh, on a statewide basis uh, and and now has his own company that he just started a few years ago. And, and both John and Jim have basically done work for America's Majority Foundation, which I am the project director for. And also, I am the chairman of America's PAC. I'm the author of eight great books, none of them are bestsellers, but they all should be. And I'm getting ready to release sometime in the next couple of months a new book, uh, Beyond the Abyss. Uh, so we, you know, will America survive? So hopefully uh, we'll have a lot of, like I say, that we'll talk more about that as it comes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, John, why don't you kind of tell people very briefly about yourself? Okay. Um, yeah, well, my name's John Spiegel, and I, I'm an economist at the Center of the American Experiment. Um, we're a public policy think tank based in Minnesota. Um, primarily, we focus on uh, state economic policy issues, um, so which are generally kind of taxes and regulation, and we look at the policies in, in those terms, uh, which can boost uh, incomes and make for a more prosperous state. Uh, we do occasionally look uh, to um, at some of the federal uh, level and the kind of U.S. macroeconomy. I think we won't be talking about some of that today. Um, and it's interesting times as far as all that goes. Um, you know, we're, we're, uh, there's an awful lot of funny uh, numbers and data and indicators flickering on the dashboard. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Martha, why don't you tell somebody a little bit about yourself? Um, hi, so uh, name, my name is Martha Njomali. I am from Malawi. So like John, I am an economist at the center as well. So we do uh, the same type of work. We have collaborated on a lot of reports. So we'll probably be talking mostly about uh, the same thing today. All right. And also, Jim, uh, kind of a, yeah. have you got any, uh, you know, I guess, you know, try to make, a, you know, since you've been about every job there's ever been in state government and you have your own company. So just try to make it brief. <laughs> sure, I'll just make it brief. I uh, I would say that uh, from the government side uh, in the past, uh, public uh, service has been largely in the human services, social services area. Uh, many years I retired about four years ago. Um, now I'm engaged more in the private sector uh, uh, in greater Kansas City area as chair of the Heartland Black Chamber. I serve on the greater Kansas City Chamber Board, as well as the 
uh, state of Kansas on the board there. So I'm interested in free enterprise and market economy and those types of things these days. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thanks. Okay. Well, you know, like I said, we're going to cover all wide range because I know Jim has got an interest in economic development and urban centers. And Martha, you've written a couple of uh, good pieces on that. Uh, one in which uh, you just did a study was the last of uh, May the 26th that you released on Minnesota cosmetology licensing is openly burdensome. And certainly this maybe kind of get a start and maybe you can kind of start it this way with us is, you know, there are a lot of local regulations that cities do or states do that hampers, you know, entry into the business in particularly uh, and certainly uh, this is one area where, let's say, cosmetology, you know, it's basically if you want it, you know, it's, it's certainly one of those jobs that you know, I'm going to I'll make the case that you certainly don't need a I mean, you, you need a good skill on how to do hair. But it's also one of those skills where you've added by adding the entry level, you make it more difficult for individuals to enter, especially and certainly that's certainly the case in urban centers. Uh, why don't you go ahead and. Tell brief, briefly about that study. Uh, so this was um, a study that they they did at the office of the legislative audit, uh, auditor. So they were looking at Minnesota's uh, cosmetology licensing, uh, specifically just trying to see in which ways they overburden individuals, uh, make them uh, less likely to enter the the. Uh, the industry. So one of the things that they found, actually, which I found very interesting, was the fact that if if somebody is trying to do, for instance, just hair, so they have actually three types of occupations under cosmetology. So you can look at nails, or you can look at the skin, or you can look at uh, hair. So for the for the for the two nails and skin, there's like specific courses you can take. So you can just get licensed to do nails or just the skin. But for hair, you have to take the whole cosmetology uh, course, which uh, is like 1,500 hours, so roughly 10 months, and it costs about $20,000 for some of the schools I have looked into. So you have to look at all those three, and then by the end of it, you've spent so much time and so much money. And the thing is, most of the people that enter into these professions are usually low-income individuals, so they don't have a lot of money to begin with. And most likely is if they don't get into cosmetology, they're going to get into other lower-paying uh, jobs. So what you're doing with these laws is preventing them from using their skills uh, to get into these uh, lucrative industries. Because it's not like cosmetology is a very high-risk job. There's not too much damage you can do with somebody's nails or hair. So m- most of these uh, training requirements actually are very unreasonable. Uh, there's a couple other things too that they looked at. Uh, so, uh, for instance, uh, in 2019, the cosme- cosmetology board actually came up with this new rule whereby if you wanted to do hair for like a bride, you had to have a, a, a salon manager's license, and that takes 4,000 hours to complete. Uh, but basically, you're doing the same thing you'll be doing even if you didn't have the license. So some of those things, like very arbitrary application of those laws, they are very uh, hurtful to uh, Minnesota residents. Okay, let me put this. Why, 
why? Well, I mean, here's the thing. I have a real estate license, and basically it took me 90 hours, maybe hmm. a couple of thousand dollars by the time I went through it. And, and, and certainly, you know, there's a few more legal issues dealing with real estate versus, let's say, doing hair. So why I – mean, who's respond? Is this something where, let's say, the hair style, you know, are people trying to keep out competition? Is that part uh, of the answer? Yes, that's, 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 I think that's definitely part of it because the board is usually made up, made up of people that are already in the occupation. So I, I can't really speak to their intentions, but it's, it's very difficult to assume that people that are already in the business will be welcoming to new competitors. And Besides, a lot of research on this has shown that occupational license does actually raise prices because you're keeping people out into that profession. So it plays pretty well on their part because they're getting high uh, high prices means they're getting more for their wage than if they had competitors. So it is very likely uh, that they they have uh, a reason to 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 lobby for more laws, which is what they do most times in the legislature. Well, hello, that's all. This is Tom Donaldson here in the Donaldson Files with Martha, uh, John, and Jim. We're talking economics. We're talking everything. Uh, uh, from state to the national scene. This is Tom Donaldson, the Donaldson Files. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri, was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? 1 in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism? 1 in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. And this is Don, but we're back here in the Donaldson Files with our special guest. Uh, if you want to listen to a rebroadcast of this show and other shows, thebachelornews.airtime.pro. You can also get this on iTunes, Spotify, Ankle, and TuneIn.com. Again, thebachelornews.airtime.pro. And you can listen to a rebroadcast of this particular show and others. Okay, Jim, I'm going to have you kind of jump in here a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. and and what I wanted is, is that I know you've been working with the Chamber of Commerce around the Kansas City areas, and also in the and aren't you also working for the state, uh, the Kansas State uh, Chambers as well? 
Yes, I'm with the uh, Kansas State Chamber, and I serve on the uh, CEO Leadership Roundtable for the Greater Kansas City Chamber, as well as the chair of the Black Chamber. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, one of the things that Martha has kind of brought up some very interesting you know, point where she talks about cosmetology. You know, this is one of those areas where, from a skill level, you know, you know, this is, you know, from a skill level, certainly not a, you don't have to necessarily have a ton of skills. Per se. I hate to be insulted in that way, but certainly it's a skill level where you don't need a college degree. And as she stated, mm-hmm. a good portion of the people who enter into cosmetology tend to be on the lower income side, in particular in urban centers. Has the Chamber of Commerce in either Kansas or the Greater Kansas City, have they ever discussed this? Have they ever you know, is this something that's on the agenda, and should it be on the agenda? Your thoughts. Well, Go ahead. Uh, first, first of all, in the in the three years I've been in and around the chambers, uh, I have not seen it come as a topic for discussion uh, at a policy level at all. I plan that we've got a a meeting coming up for the state chamber next. Uh, Thursday, and I plan to bring it up because of the conversation I had at a luncheon with the Greater Kansas City yesterday. Uh, yesterday, it was mentioned, mentioned but not, you know, discussed in depth regarding licensing, revenue enhancement, competition, and the things that uh, Martha just mentioned here in the earlier conversation. But the big item yesterday was concerned with these CEOs and and president, company presidents in greater Kansas City regarding the difficulty getting people to come back to work because many appear to be receiving nearly as much, if not more, with the stimulus uh, supplements for unemployment. Yeah. All right, John, let's kind of follow up on that because this is something that's been nationwide, and I know you – and I think – and and also I know you guys have you I know you guys have looked at this on a statewide basis. So, the, what you know what about the fact that hey, it's you know we are basically running into a point where we have more jobs. I mean we literally have you know, you know plenty of jobs and not enough workers at this point filling those jobs. Well, that's absolutely right. Um, data came out today from the Bureau of Labor Statistics that I think showed that we had something like the highest number of open jobs ever in the United States, something like 9.3 million jobs open. Um, and we still have actually um, elevated levels of unemployment in a lot of places. Um, so Minnesota, for example, we've got you know a lot of people unemployed. Um, our unemployment rate is not so high, but our, unempl- our labor force participation rate is down. Because lots of people have just drifted out of the labor force completely. And then when they do that, they're no longer included in the unemployment rate. And so we have this weird situation where we have like 100,000 jobs open statewide um, and unemployed people, and yet they're not matching up. And they're not matching up because uh, one of the uh, measures that was taken in response to COVID-19 was not only to extend federal unemployment insurance, but to enhance it. Um, with uh, these payments, uh, they were originally $600 a week. They're now down to $300 a week, and that's uh, due to expire in September. Um, now, if you add that $300 a week to about the uh, $1,000 a week that you get in Minnesota um, as unemployment insurance, um, and then you divide that amount by 
40 to get like the, the wage of a 40 hour week, you're looking at $26 an hour. Um, you know, so unskilled people in the market, employers in the market for unskilled workers, they can't really justify paying, you know, $26 an hour or more. So they can't compete with the government. Um, you know, it's not people say, well, you know, they should just raise the, raise their wages. But that doesn't, that's not how it works. You will only raise your wage um, up to the amount of revenue that you think a worker will provide. Otherwise, you're adding more to your costs and your revenues, and no business does that. So, there is a, you know, we, we are at a level where we push this reservation wage so high that it's above, in many cases, uh, what uh, employers are willing to pay. And so because of that, we have this big mismatch where we have lots of jobs open um, and high unemployment at the same time. Okay. Uh, Martha, uh, uh, your thoughts? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I pretty much uh, agree with what John says there. Uh, there was a, a blog I wrote a couple of days ago about uh, employers in St. Cloud. So there was a survey that was undertaken in that side of the region. So uh, they were asking uh, businesses the type of jobs that they have on record that they are looking uh, people uh, for people for, and most of the jobs were uh, pretty much over fifteen dollars, so fifteen to twenty dollars, twenty to twenty-five dollars, and that that is a lot of money, but still it's pretty much less than what uh, unemployment is paying. So, yeah, it uh, it is uh, uh, it is it is financially true. It is true that th these high unemployment payments are keeping people uh, out of jobs. Well, let me ask all I three of you this question. It, because, go, go ahead, John. Go ahead. So I, just to say, I think this is a symptom or just one facet of a, of a broader problem, which is that the problems that the American economy faces right now um, are supply-side problems. They're not demand-side problems. Um, and yet the Biden administration seems to think that every problem that there is is a problem of is a demand-side problem. So it's a lack of spending. It's a lack of demand, which is the issue. And so all their solutions are based on spending more money. But it, the problem's a supply-side issue. We've sat on the economy uh, in the name of fighting COVID-19. Um, you know, so we've massively reduced the capacity to produce things like lumber or you know, chips or whatever, computer chips. And so now, uh, when the economy opens up again and we start dumping all this money in, it's chasing a relatively uh, smaller number of goods. And so that's how you get inflation. If you want to think about it in a very crude way, um, inflation is, you know, what you get when you increase the amount of money uh, that there is around divided by the amount of stuff there is to spend it on. And that's what's happened. And so wherever we have an administration that insists on pushing these demand side problems, um, so what are uh, demand side solutions to our supply side problems, you're going to have these issues. You're going to have this inflation. Well, yeah, here's, yeah. That's a good point because uh, I've made this point before, and I want all three of you to kind of comment on it, is that when I look at this administration, I don't see anything dealing with growing the economy. Uh, it's more or less we're going to tax wealthy people. We're going to increase the capital gains tax. We're going to increase corporate taxes. Uh, we're increasing, and we're basically going to have, you know, as you say, infrastructures, which anything is, you know, how you define infrastructure has been rather expanded. But I've yet to figure out what is it that they're going to do to increase the actual growth of the economy. Uh, unless I missed something, uh, is that an act, you know, is that kind of an act description of what we're dealing with? 
And I'll start with you, Tim. Okay, well, I would would say that I see most of the focus on uh, some type of government spending, which we've seen before. Uh, You can go back last 50 years, particularly in the Great Society programs of the 60s, and you saw how programs uh, war on poverty were implemented, and many people thought it would be a way to lift off particularly in the minority communities, African-American community coming out of Jim Crow South and some of the uh, associations there, what happened because of the way it was administered was you created a permanent underclass that was living in poverty or just on the edge, and it became a way of life. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves in a similar situation, not to mention what Mark just mentioned regarding inflation and too many dollars chasing too few goods. And if we're coming from the standpoint that I deal with daily with minority business development and expansion, the opportunities become even more limited for the creation of small businesses, and minority businesses. So it's uh, uh, this environment where it's focused on demand is not helping business development at all. And the minority community, what it needs most is more private investment and more risk taken as far as business development. Okay. Uh, Martha, your thoughts? Um, yeah, so at least from what I have read and what I've seen, so some of the justification regarding this uh, spending is that the more money you put into people's uh, pockets, the more money they have for uh, consumption, uh, which means they're putting more money into businesses, businesses will grow, uh, that, that type of thing. But then again, we, we come to that same point about uh, inflation. You, know, you have to have people producing uh, to for the economy to grow, but if you just have money laying around, then it's just paper in itself. And one of the other things that they have said about infrastructure is that the infrastructure in itself is going to produce jobs because you need people working uh, in those uh, or in those projects. But then, if if the reason for projects is to give people jobs, like it has to be a, a better reason than that. Like, do we actually need that type of spending? You shouldn't spend just to give people jobs because then again, you're not producing uh, any value. You're just giving people money for uh, for free, which then leads to inflation. Okay, John, how serious do you view the inflation? Do you look at this as a potential? Uh, back to the 1970s type inflation where we were looking at double digits? Uh, could it get that bad? I, I know people who, who think it could. Uh, and One, for example, is a guy who is uh, what they call a market monetarist. And I shan't bore you with the precise description of that. But basically for the last 10 years, he's been arguing that monetary policy is too tight, uh, that interest rates should be lower, that uh, money should be expanded more, and that we should be trying to hit Uh, targets for nominal GDP growth. Um, He now says that we've gone far too far the other way and that he he actually thinks we are looking at 10% inflation by the end of the year, Um, which is quite possible. The the issue is, there's a couple of things. Firstly, um, if you dump a load of money into an economy, 
um, you know, prices will rise. But if you don't, if you just do it one off, eventually that rise will stop. Um, and so, you know, you'll have a one-off jolt in prices, um, but that's kind of all you'll have. Of course, there will be distribution effects within that. Um, but at some point it will stop. The issue becomes when the uh, input of purchasing power into the economy just continues. Um, so, in other words, uh, if the Federal Reserve keeps printing money and monetizing debt, um, if the Federal Reserve, uh, if the Treasury keeps uh, borrowing money and dumping it into the economy, um, if, if that's a long-term plan, then that is where this stuff starts to get baked in. And uh, one of the big problems with inflation is not so much uh, the rate. Um, so, for example, if everyone knew that inflation was going to be 20%, which is quite very high, if everyone knew it was going to be 20% over the next year, you can index for that. And in real terms, it doesn't really matter too much. The real problem with inflation comes with it when it's variable, when you don't know what it's going to be. And this goes uh, back to the point uh, about why it's difficult for entrepreneurs um, to, uh, to function in a, in, a, in a situation like this. When inflation is not only high but variable, um, then it becomes very, very difficult to plan. Uh, I'll just give you an example. A friend of mine is a building contractor, and he told me at the weekend that he's now started to put expiration dates on all the quotes he gives for work because he can't guarantee that he'll be able to deliver the work at that price beyond a certain time horizon, um, which goes to show, you know, I mean, that just makes it very, very difficult to plan in the medium or even the long term. Well, hold on there, Bob. This is Tom Dowsley here on the Dowsley Files from the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, we'll return with our guest talking economics here on the Bachelor News Radio Network and the Donaldson Files. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m. I make his breakfast. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m. I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m. I shower. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. I start laundry at 8. At 10, we go for a walk. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Welcome back to the Donaldson Files here, the Bachelor News Radio Network. You can listen to a rebroadcast of this show on the bachelornews.airtime.pro. The bachelornews.airtime.pro, and you can listen to a rebroadcast of this show throughout the rest of this week. Uh, tomorrow, uh, the Dr. Larry will be taking over my show as well as his own show for the Wednesday edition of the Donaldson Files and the Resistance Hour. And so just want to let you know I will be at a secret meeting somewhere out west planning the 
the salvation of the American dream with a, with a secret group of conspira- fellow conspiracists. All right. Okay, uh, back to – okay, now, John, uh, kind of a follow-up. So, what you're, so basically the possibility of double digit even at the end of this year, uh, is you know distinct because we're basically spending trillions of dollars. Uh, the last time I checked, the GDP, you know, like I say, the percentage of government spending in GDP is like 130 uh, percent. From a macro position, uh, I guess the question I would throw back: first of all, when you start getting into let's say the 130 plus uh, debt level, you know, as far as the economy goes. You know, what's the impact of that, or what's the long-term impact? Uh, well, one of the things about that is there is academic evidence. Uh, two economists, uh, Carmen Reinhout and Ken Rogoff, uh, have written about this, um, show that when um, uh, debt becomes, you know, goes above a certain percentage of GDP, 80%, 100%, it does start to have a measurable effect uh, on economic growth, um, starts to drag it down, you know, the cost of servicing this debt. Um, America um, has what Charles de Gaulle famously called an exorbitant privilege um, in the sense that it issues the international reserve currency. Um, so there is, there is a, a kind of external demand for dollars, which props up um, you know, the, the, the U.S. dollar um, and keeps its value from, from tanking too much um, as a result of all this. Um, but if, if, you're kind of, if, if you're betting that that's going to continue, um, and that the world is going to continue to just swallow this endless uh, spigot of dollars. And uh, that, that's a gamble. That's a gamble. It may pay off. It may not. Um, I don't think it's worked for anybody else historically in the, in the very long term. Um, but you can certainly give it a go. Uh, but, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the academic evidence does show that once, economic, once debt gets too high as a share of GDP, um, it is a drag on economic growth. Mm-hmm. Well. Let's try to go from state, then we'll go to the macro. Uh, again, now, John, you've just did a study a while, just today, released that income taxes, income tax rates. And so I kind of talked very briefly about that. Now, this was defined as an article for uh, uh, reporters on how to report, let's say, income taxes. And I know they're referring to the article that was in Pro Poplokia, where they basically found out that rich people tried to avoid, you know, tried to minimize their tax burden. Uh, but kind of talk very briefly about that article and your what you were attempting to do. Yeah, there's a couple of things. I mean, this this new report from ProPublica is one of the dumbest things you'll ever read. Um, it talks about how Warren Buffett hasn't paid income tax on his wealth increase. Well, of course he hasn't, because you pay income tax on your income. The clue is in the name. You don't pay income tax on the, on the notional increase of your asset values. That is why Warren Buffett and nobody else pays income tax uh, on notional estimates of their wealth. Um, so that, that's one thing this report is, completely, is complete nonsense. Um, but the other aspect, the other thing I wanted to make with that post is that, you know, it's just being reported uncritically by our completely credulous media <clears throat> who just take uh, the press releases and just puff them out. Uh, there's no critical thinking. 
Um, there's no uh, look at, well, is this true or not? It just, NPR News just takes it, sticks it out as though it's true. Um, there is apparently nobody writing about tax issues at these outlets who knows even the basics about tax. Um, and I think that's absolutely tragic. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, because like you say, if you read the article, you know, I mean, uh, well, you know, first of all, number one, uh, and, and maybe we'll get into and I like to kind of follow up on that, is certainly, you know, these wealthy people have seen their wealth go up even during the pandemic based on you know, certain policies that benefited their companies. So, but that wealth is basically on paper. Uh, it's not what, let's yeah. say, they pay, what they actually earn. Uh, it'd be kind of the equivalent, let's say, if my house goes up in value from 190000 uh, to 200, let's just say the bank comes in and says, you know, last year this property is worth 990,000. Today it's worth 210. Uh, you know, certainly I don't get taxed on that. I only get taxed if I when I sell the house. Yeah. Uh, and so basically, and I and, and I kind of want you, Martha and Jim, kind of you know, comment a little bit on this, and that is, they're basically kind of confusing. Okay, this is what they're worth versus, okay, this is what they get paid in income, what they're earning in income, whether that income is through uh, dividends from their investments or their actual salaries. So you're basically taking an app, you're comparing apples to oranges uh, and basically getting it totally wrong. Is, is that a good yes. way to say it? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Martha. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's what it is. But there's, there's been a lot of this, especially for uh, people that try to advocate for high taxes. Uh, for instance, I saw an article a couple of uh, probably weeks ago, something about uh, FedEx and these other companies paid zero taxes in, uh, you know, in federal income, in federal in- uh, corporate income tax. So somebody will read that and go, well, they, they didn't. They didn't owe any tax or something like that. But when you actually read the article, they didn't pay any tax because they had all these deductions and incentives that pretty much reduced their their tax burden. Uh, but for, but for the people that actually are advocating for high taxes, they just sort of choose and pick these scenarios that fit their narrative just so they could call for high taxes when you, when in truth it's the way maybe that the system is structured that makes it so that some of these companies have uh, zero uh, a tax burden of zero uh, but they don't really go into that so there's a lot of misrepresentation in the way that taxes work but I think some of it might be uh, on purpose because they have this agenda that they are driving at let's step up because here's the other aspect comes into play here is that during the pandemic, you had governors essentially declaring which business is allowed to do, which is not. And certainly, for example, if you own Amazon, we're able to take advantage of the fact that a lot of downtown businesses were actually shut down. And certainly Walmart and Targets were themselves oftentimes allowed to stay open when their competitors were shut down is not essential. And so... It seems to me the very same people talking about taxing these corporations are taxing these individuals are the same individuals that did policies that enhanced their wealth 
vis-a-vis everybody else to begin with. Uh, am I do I, am I on the right track there? And I'll start with you, Jim. I'm, I'm not really sure about that particular uh, issue there as far as uh, my observations or anything that I've run into or conversations I've had. So I'm going to... I'm going to pass on a response to this particular one and pass on to Martha and uh, John. Okay, uh, Martha? Um, yeah, I, I think all of these policies were really uh, hurtful to uh, small businesses, mostly because most of them don't really have a lot of uh, online presence. And also if you look at service industries like restaurants and bars and uh uh, anything like like entertainment places, they have to have people in there for them to operate, and that's how they get most of their revenue. So yeah, uh, the the closure for most of these service industries really uh, hurt them uh, pretty bad. For instance, there is this uh, one family-owned cinema place around where I stay. They they were closed in June, but then by August they announced that they were permanently closing because they couldn't keep up with the closing and then opening and then reducing capacity and then opening again. But then if you went to Target around that same time that all of this was happening, there was very little social distancing happening in there. And apart from the masks, really not a lot had had changed. And besides, Amazon also has a huge uh, online, uh, I mean, Target has a huge online presence, which makes it so that people can just buy stuff from there, some of the infrastructure that some of these businesses didn't have. So, yeah, I think I think the lockdown really uh, kind of uh, uh, kind of favored these already established businesses uh, against small businesses, which made it so that uh, people like Jeff Bezos really benefited. Uh, I don't think it was anything intentional. It was just that the way things are structured kind of benefited uh, those already uh, established businesses, in a sense. Yeah. Okay, John, your, your, uh, your, any comments? Yeah, it's absolutely true. Um, I mean, as a general rule of thumb, it seemed to me that the bigger the business was, the better chance it had of being allowed to stay open. Um, in Minnesota, for example, uh, there's a store called Hockey Hub, uh, which sells hockey gear. And that's all it sells. It sells, you know, just pads and, and whatnot. Um, and they were told to close. But you could go to a Target or a Walmart and buy the same stuff because Target and Walmart were allowed to stay open because they were also selling food. So people who would normally have bought up in the hockey hub and didn't have the opportunity but they could go to target so people still got what they wanted and target got the extra money and hockey hub just had to kind of dangle you know um one point i would make though um so like i say you know these policies could all i mean whether they were or they weren't designed this way the effect has been um completely predictable which is to make people like jeff bezos much richer um but can you imagine you know being locked in your house like like we were um, without Amazon, it would have been miserable. It would have been far more difficult. Uh, and so to the extent that Amazon actually alleviated a lot of the suffering that, that came from these lockdowns, um, I would say that Jeff Bezos deserves every penny that he's got of this increase in wealth. And I don't think, I think we should actually, uh, you know, always remember that, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with making money. Um, and yeah. you know, we shouldn't always try and explain it away. And 
I, mean, I don't lose a lot of sleep um, when people attack Jeff Bezos. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't weep for the man. Um, but uh, I do think it's worth pointing out that Amazon does provide a service, and it's a service that people are willing to pay for. I hold that thought, so we're going to be right back with Tom Donaldson. Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News uh, Radio Network. Go, Caleb! Come on, hit a homer, Jesse! Go, guys! Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up? Of course. I, I knew that. Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow, Jinx. <laughs> did you guys know that friendly children have more friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music? Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah. Pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. obvious. Oh, hey, guys, did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh, I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Welcome back to Dawson Files with our special guest, Jim Eccles, uh, uh, John Salem, and Martha. Yeah. Martha, uh, I'm going to apologize. Hey, it's all right. Uh, so why don't you, tell you, you say your last name so I don't massacre it again? Uh, it's Joe Lamarley. Joe Lamarley, okay. Uh, there uh, Joe Mullardi is an economist at the Center for American Experiment, along with John Pelham. And uh, Jim Eccles uh, owns his own company, but also works with the Greater Kansas City Chamber of Commerce and, the, and also the Kansas City uh, State Chamber of Commerce. Okay, now, Jim, you've always made this thing. You said it on our show, and you've stated it to me privately. And I know you say this to quite a, to a lot of your groups. And I want to kind of you, and I want to kind of you know kind of follow up on the conversation. You stated the problem with a lot of urban centers and a lot of minorities communities. There's just not enough capitalism. Explain. Okay, well let me let me say, and it's it's probably a a timely period for this because uh, we just uh, stalled the hundredth anniversary of the uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, Black Wall Street story and the situation there. Uh, the stats that I received in observing and listening to the celebratory aspects along with the tragedy of that experience in the Black Wall Street was during the heyday prior to the uh, situation there in 1921, the dollar actually turned over about I'm told about 35 times in that business district there in Greenwood and Wall Street, uh, Tulsa, before it actually got out to the larger community, which created a great deal of wealth 
and economic development in uh, the Greenwood District of Tulsa. Uh, typically, the dollar in the African-American community, on the average, will stay in that community about six hours before it's out. And so when I talk about capitalism and the need, need for free enterprise and business development, we need to have a situation where there are more black business or minority business owners. Right now, for example, my black chamber of commerce, most of our members are individuals who are employed by businesses, uh, mainly mainstream businesses, versus entrepreneurs who actually are business owners. And so we need to develop a focus and a feeling where we are attracted to the virtue of developing businesses, investing capital, taking risks that come along with developing and owning your own business. And, yes, there are risks involved, but there are also great rewards to being a business owner and being a serious entrepreneur to do that. That's where I try to work with the state chamber and the mainstream chambers of commerce to try and partner to create opportunities and pathways for cooperation or subcontracting opportunities uh, between the mainstream businesses and the minority businesses to learn pathways of opportunity and at the same time, to have an opportunity to earn, earn and develop good credit in order to be able to go to the bank and the mainstream financial institutions to get business loans and various types of nomenclatures there to sustain, own, and sustain the business so that we can have more of those where those dollars can actually stay in the community and turn over more time. Let me hold okay, up Martha, there. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Martha, what, do you have any thoughts to that? Yeah. Um, Is the problem... Uh, well, Go ahead. M- most of the research that we've done at, at the center has revealed that Minnesota does pretty bad on entrepreneurship, so that's like a, a general thing, just a state thing. Uh I haven't seen I have seen any data on on race uh, or ethnicities, but the fact that it is a statewide uh, issue means it's probably affecting everyone. So most of what the solutions we've come up with here are, are statewide. So things like uh, taxes, we have very high taxes, which potentially lead to a low levels of entrepreneurship. So we've suggested. Uh, tax reform, so regulations and uh, things of that nature. One of the things that we actually see in Minnesota is that for for business survival rates, so the BLS puts out this data every year of uh, the percentage of businesses that survive after five years. So the last couple of years, actually, Minnesota has been uh, at the very top. So in 2020, we were, I think we were number one. 
So about 55% of businesses that are created in this state actually survived past five years, which is pretty good compared to most of the other states, which makes it so that if we actually improved on our rate of business creation, we would do, be doing pretty well uh, in this state in, in as far as uh, job creation is concerned, uh, income creation is concerned, and just overall uh, economic growth. Okay, John, your comment. Yeah, um, it's an interesting to, to hear what Jim says about, um, you know, that what the, uh, the black community needs is more capitalism because we hear something very different in Minnesota um, from our state leadership. Um, Minnesota is an interesting example, actually, because uh, we have quite a high standard of living here in terms of per capita incomes, and yet we do have very pronounced racial disparities. Um, you know, so, uh, so for example, um, the rate of black home ownership in Minnesota um, is not only low relative to uh, the white level of home ownership, it's low relative to the black level of home ownership in other states. Um, so you know, it's, it's what's known as the Minnesota paradox. You know, we have all this wonderful big government, uh, and yet we have all these uh, disparities. Um, and I think that should perhaps tell you something. You know, we've had this, uh, I mean, the, these disparities are now very much in, uh, in the public eye. Uh, in the wake of, you know, the George Floyd and Derek Chauvin situation and the subsequent events. Um, and what the state government is proposing is that we have lots more government spending, you know, that the government spends a lot more money to, to help the black community. Um, but we've been doing that. I mean, we've kind of tested the idea to destruction over the last several decades, and it hasn't helped. Um, it really is time to look at something else, you know, because these big disparities that we have in Minnesota have come about when we have some of the highest levels of uh, government spending uh, in the United States. Um, you know, just pushing it up even further, I don't really see that uh, that's going to do any good. It just seems like you're repeating the mistakes that you've already made. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, like I said, those are all good points and because it's, you know, because I guess, you know, because it's obviously, you know, when we look at, say, I know, again, I know you, the center's done studies you know, with higher taxes, you're seeing, you know, you know, business leaving Minnesota. Is that not correct? Um, or certainly, there's some element of that. One of one of the one of the issues we have is that we don't we just don't tend to form companies here. So as Martha said, you know, our, our rates of entrepreneurship are pretty bad. But if you look at our levels of innovation, if we look at you know, um, uh, patents, for example, um, per million of the population. We have some of the highest, um, you know, shares of patents in America, and yet those ideas they get developed in uh, elsewhere in America. You know, the businesses that those patents uh, support um, uh, are founded elsewhere. One point I would make uh, about, uh, you know, um, entrepreneurship in the black community is that one way it could be helped is just by protecting their businesses. Um, if you look at the, the riots that we had in Minneapolis in 2020. Um, there the, were the, all these businesses along Lake Street that were burnt down. Um, they were primarily uh, minority-owned businesses. And interestingly, an awful, if you look at the arrest records, an awful lot of the people who have been arrested and charged for burning them down um, are white people from the suburbs. It's, a kind of, it's almost like a kind of weird reverse race riot where white people have traveled in from the suburbs into the, uh, into the urban core of Minneapolis, burnt down minority-owned businesses, and then said that they're doing it in the name of racial justice. It's absolutely nuts. 
And I think that one thing that uh, really needs to happen in, in Minneapolis and other state, uh, other cities in America as well is that uh, you know, minority business owners and minority communities need to be protected from this uh, massive upsurge in urban violence that we're seeing at the moment. Okay, Joe, your thoughts on what John just said? Well, I would, I would say that uh, I heard something similar from Portland, Oregon area as far as the protests. I think it's, it's uh, so much more difficult to, first of all, to start and sustain a minority, particularly African-American business. Uh, I'm told that the results from the pandemic over the past year and a half has led to approximately 41% of all African-American businesses gone, uh, probably never to return. And then when the situation occurs, uh, like we, uh, like uh, John uh, mentioned, uh, mentioned there for uh, Minneapolis, and then what I've heard coming out of Portland, Oregon, uh, suburbanites who are actually coming in and participating in protests and so on, and then burning down uh, minority businesses. I mean, it's just a double-edged sword that makes it almost uh, impossible to, you know, establish and get anything going really. I think it's terrible. Well, yeah. There's one quick point, then we're going to move on because we're kind of running low on time. Uh, reaching the end of the hour now, it's really gone by fast. Uh, Jim, you know, the, the, the 100-year celebration of the Tulsa burning of what was then called, I guess, the Wall Street, you know, the Black Wall Street. But there is a history of black entrepreneurship that's often ignored. Uh, I mean, in Kansas City, you have the Baseball Hall of Fame. And you had Negro Leagues that were existing side-by-side with white leagues that, you know, from a fan perspective, were very competitive, you know, as far as – and so there is that history of entrepreneurship that has always been there. And it seems – has it been lost? And is it time – you know, is it something that we've lost? Is it something still there we just haven't discovered it or is not being discovered? Your, Your thoughts? My basic thought is that uh, there has been, uh, in the past, entrepreneurship and a spirit appeared, appears that it was strongest during the era of racial segregation as far as housing, as far as general communities, when it was uh, necessary for those communities to develop their own ability to provide those goods and services to the community because of segregation. And so I guess, you know, I guess uh, necessity is indeed the mother of invention because that's when those things in that spirit of entrepreneurship and business development, including the Black Wall Street in Tulsa and Greenwood, they came about during the era of Jim Crow and segregation, which made it necessary. It appears when the integration took took place racially in society that a lot of that pressure to develop and to be innovative fell apart also. Mm-hmm. So, there's a book. Like I say, because it's one of those things we don't talk about. <laughs> But it certainly has been there, and it was a, 
There's a great book called Red, White, and Black that was put out by the 1776 Unite, and they had a whole mm-hmm. chapter, like two chapters, devoted to black entrepreneurship, historically speaking, and talking about the fact, hey, this has been, you know, that there is a history of black entrepreneurship that exists. All right, we got about five minutes left. And so, first of all, number one, Jim, uh, I want you to kind of talk about, you know, what projects you got coming up and, you know, and some of your projects you got coming up that you want to share. Well, I, w- I would say right now that I'm focused uh, 90% of my attention in private sector, private businesses, and I'm working now to develop a an academy for minority youth to learn the basic tenets and fundamentals of the American free enterprise system, and I'm working right now with both the mainstream uh, state chamber, Greater Kansas City, and our black chamber to work together to develop uh, from a nonprofit foundational standpoint to create this academy so that youth start learning the benefits and how the free enterprise system will do more to alleviate poverty than government at any level can ever do. Yeah. Okay, Martha, what, do you have any projects that you're presently working on? Uh, yes, sure. So the next couple of weeks I am going to be doing uh, research on child care. So Minnesota has some of the, the highest prices for child care. I don't know if you're a parent yourself, but a lot of parents also complain about um, not finding child care spaces, especially in greater Minnesota. So for the most part, what the state has done is increase funding, uh, the money that they give to uh, providers, yeah, in the hope that this will make it so that some providers will come into the market and then increase the supply and then keep prices down. But that hasn't really done anything. So what I will be looking at is how regulation has affected uh, uh has made childcare so expensive and so very hard to find. So what I'm trying to do with this is uh, probably push for some uh, regulatory reform at the legislature in the next session if it comes up. So this is one of the the biggest projects. And me and John are also working on a capital project that I feel like he he would love to explain probably. Okay, John, I'll let you explain it. Uh, Your joint project. Yeah. It's not one of the most thrilling things that we'll ever do, uh, but it's essentially uh, looking at um, how state policy um, does or can influence uh, the growth of capital per worker, um, which is a kind of you know component of uh, per capita income growth. Um, another project I'm working on um, at the moment, I hope to have out soon, um, is about the impact of Minnesota's tax rate on um, uh, in-state and out-state migration. Um, we, you know, we're losing people from the state. We very nearly lost a congressional seat. Um, and in fact, it's a funny thing. Probably the only thing that saved Minnesota's congressional seat um, was the fact that um, Andrew Cuomo killed so many people in New York, um, which pushed their population down. Um, and, and you know, left to our own devices, I think we were really a struggle there. Um, and a lot of that is driven by our tax rates. And so that's what uh, we're going to be talking about in that report. Okay, real quick, uh, uh, why don't you tell everybody about the Center for American Experiments, uh, where you know they can find more information and where they can get online to look at the studies both you and Martha have done. 
Yeah, the website is americanexperiment.org. Um, if you go on there, we have um, articles posted every day. Um, you'll find uh, our various reports. Um, you'll find videos as well. We're looking to do more of those. And also uh, information about upcoming events. We're doing a big tour at the, around the state at the moment. My colleague, Catherine Thorman, who focuses on education policy, um, about uh, critical race theory in schools um, and what a kind of danger that presents. And uh, I think there's 17 stops on that tour. And there's, you know, they're looking at you know, big turnouts everywhere they go. It's a real concern to people. Okay, hold on. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, tomorrow night, uh, Dr. Larry will be doing the Donaldson Files in addition to the Resistance Hour. I want to say thank you, good night, and have a good evening from the Donaldson Files. shooting there in Southern California is just one of more than 7,000 gun deaths in the U.S. so far this year. The numbers rising significantly during the pandemic. Janae joins us with more on the increasing violence that we're seeing. Janae, good morning. Hey, Wick, good morning. I'm out in Times Square. This was the scene of a shooting just a few weekends ago, an example of a really troubling trend, a stunning surge of gun violence around the country. Look at this, the total number of deaths by gun violence, not including suicide. You can see the moderate rise from 2018 to 2019, but in 2020, nearly 4,000 more Americans died by gun violence, roughly a 25% increase in a single year. And already this year, that number topping 7,500. Obviously, that number is changing constantly. For example, Friday night, 10 people were shot in downtown Minneapolis. And with that alarming increase of gun violence, the impact on innocent children has been devastating. Six-year-old Anaya Allen was riding in her mom's car in Minneapolis when they were caught in an exchange of gunfire. She was one of three children recently shot there. This past week, three children were shot in as many days in the Washington, D.C. metro area. And in Chicago, 108 children have been the victims of shootings this year alone. 16 of them have died. And in a shooting here in Times Square earlier this month, a four-year-old girl was one of three people hit by a stray bullet. They all fortunately survived. But when we hear those staggering figures, you have to remember they are not just numbers. Each one of those are victims. And for those who died, they leave behind family members, like the mother you just heard Zoreen spoke to, grieving family members. So the number of Americans impacted by gun violence is exponential. Eva? And those numbers are really startling to look at this morning. Janae, thank you for that report. Well, hey there, GMA fans. Robin Roberts here. Thanks for checking out our YouTube channel. Lots of great stuff here. So go on, click the subscribe button right over, right over here to get more of awesome videos and content from GMA every day, anytime. We thank you for watching, and we'll see you in the morning on GMA. Hey, we want to welcome everyone to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We know that uh, you can be doing many other things, but you have decided to tune in to one of the the, the hottest uh, podcast shows uh, that's out here where we're talking about uh, injustice and uh, informing you about your rights and how police officers should uh, should interact with you. And so we're definitely uh, <clears throat> pleased that uh, everyone is able to, to join us. And so we want to 
remind you that if uh, you're a first-time listener to the uh, You and the Law podcast show, the uh, call-in number is 646-929-0130. That's 646-929-0130. And uh, uh, we also want to remind you that if you want to listen to the rebroadcast shows, you can check check the rebroadcast shows out at the at blogtalkradio.com backslash L.A. Bachelor. That's blogtalkradio.com backslash L.A. Bachelor. And you can catch out those rebroadcast shows at uh, 6 p.m. and uh, 4 a.m. if you're up that early in the morning. But without further ado, uh, listeners, I need to introduce the host of the show because I am the co-host, but I need to introduce the, the host of the show and he goes by the alias of T Swag. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good. You know what? And I really appreciate you saying that I'm hot, man, because you said this is what I heard you say. I heard you say the hottest host on on radio, on podcast, and you were referring to me. I appreciate that, man. You're finally getting it right, brother. Well, you know, it, it's taken that's a little bit said. of time. That's what you said. That's what you said. That's what you said. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that, that's what I said. I, I definitely said that. And, and so, you know, you know, it, it's not that many people can can uh, can give themselves an alias and it's swag. And, and so we got to recognize the swag with the age. You know, the swag goes along with the age. Yeah, okay. <laughs> wow. uh, okay. Well, hey, hey, Keith, man, we we got a another great show uh, to, uh, for our listeners uh, for us to talk about today, and and it's something that has definitely been in the news, as you know, and something that that you're dealing with as well uh, in in your city, and it's something that. Um, uh, so many families are dealing with, so many victims are dealing with, and uh, as you listen to the uh, audio piece courtesy of uh, ABC News uh, about the alarming uh, number of gun violence, the alarming number of people that have been killed, uh, the rise in mass shootings, and, and, you know, one of the things that's most disturbing about this, Keith, is that... Um, we have so many young people are victims of of gun violence, and they're just innocent bystanders. And so, you know, we definitely want to say, you know, acknowledge that, you know, those families out there who are suffering from the loss of a, of a child or, or the loss of a loved one, you know, there, there's it, – it just don't give up hope that, law enforcement is is trying to do everything they can to um, address these uh, issues of gun violence, Keith. Well, you know what, Virgil, I will tell you, this is nothing new to the to the nation. I mean, we go through these cyclical uh, periods, but what I will tell you, uh, I remember it being this bad in the early 90s, early mid-90s, when you had the, uh, the drug uh, uh, drug cartels, and when I say drug cartels, not necessarily what we think now, but they had a high influx of crack cocaine and powder cocaine and other things, and, and it had nothing to do with race. It had to do with there was a about control and, and territory, 
but I hadn't seen it. I mean, there were some really bloody times. Um, but now it's a, it's a different, you know, you, you had your middle-aged, well, your, your 25 to 30-year-olds who were involved in those, in those shootings. What we're seeing now are 14 to 15-year-olds to 23-year-olds that are involved in these shootings. And so we've seen a, the dynamics have completely changed. And also, Virgil, and to the listeners, it's not a target of you and I are having a problem. It's a target of I'm going to, if I can't get you, I'm going to get somebody that's related to you or that's good friends with you. That's what we're seeing. And, and, yeah. and so that's what makes it so tragic. There's just not one thing that you can identify as the cause of it. There's so many different things. And, and so yeah. that's, the, that's what we're facing in law enforcement. Yeah, well, you know, just like the the recent shooting in uh, in Miami, uh, right after the graduation, I believe, where you know a surveillance camera caught uh, multiple uh, individuals getting out of a car, shooting into a, a crowd of people, and jumping in the car, fleeing, and and they ultimately abandoned the car in a in a in a river. So you know, uh, there's no, uh, you know. I think they may have said that that could have been targeted, but there are so many things that uh, – so many shootings that are not targeted, um, uh, and it's just – and it's senseless. You know, we, you know, we've been talking about this, Keith, for decades, and unfortunately, uh, politics gets in the middle of, of lives, and you've got this side blaming this side. You've got Republicans blaming Democrats, you got Democrats blaming Republicans, and oh, this wouldn't have happened under a Republican president, and so it, it, I think these politicians, Keith, need to understand that they're not the ones that's suffering, the families are the ones that's suffering, and these families don't want to hear uh, you know, anything about politics, and, and you mm-hmm. know, after every mass shooting, after every tragic shooting, you hear these politicians come out and say, you know, you know, we we're praying for the families, uh, you know, in, in those type of statements. And this is not what people want to hear. Uh, they want to, you know, they want something else other than just, you know, lip service. And then, you know, the next day you don't even remember the uh, the person's name that that you were talking about the day before. But, Keith, we're coming up on taking our first break, man, and when we get back, we're going to get back into this topic of the rise and increase in gun violence across the United States. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Blog Talk
welcome you back to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, uh, we are glad that you are able to, to tune in and join us uh, this afternoon uh, for this very important topic that we're uh, talking with uh, our listeners about, and that is the uh, rise in gun violence and, and what uh, and what's behind the spike in the gun violence. And, you know, Keith, uh, another part of this tragic situation is the fact that you've got so many uh, agencies who are losing record number of police officers. Um, officers are retiring. Officers are, are just uh, uh, leaving law enforcement, going into another field. You've got some who have their budgets have been cut because of the outcry for uh, defund the police and so i you know i don't think people realize we're not even into the summer months yet keith and uh the the gun violence is is looking at the trend that this is just going to get worse before it gets any better and so when you have such a large number of, of agencies who are losing men and women uh and they're not able to replace them Ultimately, Keith, this impacts the community. It does. And, um, you know, I've said this. You know, I used to talk about a three-pronged criminal uh, criminal justice system, but actually it's four. You know, and it's it's the community and it's law enforcement, uh, judicial, and corrections. And we all four have to work together. And it is scary. uh, The fact of the matter, you know, it's but what, you know, it's up to you know us as police chiefs to reassure the community that they are safe. You know, when you have events in parks and and you have a, a an eight year old child that's killed in a park or a ten year old child that's killed inside of a car because someone is upset with someone inside that car, uh, it does send shockwaves through the through the community. But but Virgil, one of the things I will I wanna I wanna touch on really quick. When you start talking about gun reform, you're not talking about changing gun laws. You're not talking about affecting the the, the Second Amendment. When you talk about um, stiffer gun laws, when it comes to people who are utilizing weapons inappropriately, you know, um, I provide you a weapon knowing that you're going to do something, or or someone provides you a weapon knowing that you have a, an advanced stage of mental illness. Until we get people to understand that that the access to weapons are what cause problems, people don't kill people. Weapons kill people, and people with uh, minds of of no respect and value of life, when given a gun, kills people. We're not talking about self-defense. We're not talking about going to the gun range. We're not talking about accidental shootings, you know, which really and truly we shouldn't have, you know, that's a whole different story. We're talking mm-hmm. about the the accessibility of weapons that are in this nation. And I'll give you, I'll give you an example. So, you know, we had a young, a young lady, uh, a young uh, eight-year-old who was killed here in the city. And we've had a couple of children that were caught in crossfire. So, I went to the Capitol to speak on uh, some legislation that would have allowed 
uh, that allows weapons to be in parks and sporting events. And, and all I heard was, well, if, if there had been a, a gun in that park, that little girl may be alive, or if there had been a gun here. Mm-hmm. The, the point, what we're missing, and I think what, what the politicians are missing, Virgil, are you talking to the victim's families? Are yeah, you asking exactly. the victim's families what they believe would be a solution to reducing gun violence? Are you asking them, are you ba- or are you listening to a certain base that says we want these, we want, we want these, uh, we want these uh, laws put in to where you can carry weapons at, at more locations? Uh, the families deserve, you know, when you, when a when a family member goes before the, the U.S. Senate to talk about, and and you sit there and you drill that family member about, you know, their loved one and why you should have gun, uh, stiffer gun laws and things like that. That is the most, that's the saddest thing to see. And a person pours their heart out to you and you just ignore it. And you go, and you yeah. vote against what this family member is asking you, the person who has suffered the most from this, from this tragedy. But we have become a, a country of guns, man. I mean, there's not, yeah. you know, a lot of, States are going to open carry, uh, you know, concealed carry, open carry, constitutional carry. There's a, there's a, I was reading an article the other day where they said that the, um, tw- the gun sales have gone up 25% in the last yeah, three or four the pandemic. months. Since yeah. the pandemic or how in the last three or four months, you know, as, as, a, as a law enforcement executive, you can't even get, you can't get, you can't even get ammunition, practice ammunition. There's a shortage, yeah. and there's a shortage mm-hmm. of you know. But so it's just we are we have become a country of of guns, and out of all the amendments, we seem to focus on the Second Amendment more. Out of all the amendments, and so I, I just had yeah. to say that. Yeah. Well, and you know, you're right, Keith, and you know, I think a lot of people get caught up into the the Second Amendment, as you just mentioned that. You know, anytime you talk about guns, people that are uh, supporters of the Second Amendment, and, you know, you and I, we definitely support the Second Amendment, uh, and every citizen, every law-abiding citizen has the right to to, to have a, a firearm. Um, but on the other side of this, Keith, I think when people in law enforcement Talk, have this conversation when politicians have this conversation or uh, on a state level or a federal level, like you stated, they do not consider the families. Uh, and, you know, when you have families that may show up at a, at a state legislative hearing or even at a federal legis- legislative uh, hearing, uh, these people have have suffered something that the people before them have not suffered. And so when they leave from that room, they're going to continue to suffer. Uh, These politicians, they're going to just go on about their business and they're going to argue amongst each other about passing uh, uh, laws that that may uh, make it more stricter for certain individuals to 
to get their hands on a weapon. You know, then, Keith, I hear people talking about, uh, well, just look at the gun violence in Chicago. Uh, look at the gun violence in Detroit. I mean, especially Chicago, Keith. And, you know, it's you have a lot of black-on-black violence, uh, gun violence. But, you know, then when you look at other the, the mass shootings that have taken place, you know, there was a, a mass shooting at a at a FedEx facility that killed eight people. There was a, a that was done by a, a coworker. There was a recent mass shooting out in California where a, a, another coworker comes in and he kills people. And and these individuals, Keith, are heavily armed. They have more firepower than than the average person would have. And so uh, this is just it's, – it's been a trend it's, and it's been a topic, Keith, that uh, so many people, when they become victims of gun violence, that is something, you know, just like when we talk about, you know, Black Lives Matter or, you know, people say, I can't breathe when police officers do certain things and you get a hashtag on a name. Now these family members are are living with the fact that, their loved ones were killed because of just gun violence. It wasn't the fact that they were involved in this, uh, in, in anything. They were just the victims of individuals who are taking weapons and using weapons to kill people. Just like the video, I think, you know, just show where a person shot into a home, killed a, an innocent child inside of a home, Keith. So, you know, uh, and, and again, I go back to the, the the comment that I made earlier that with the alarming number of police officers that are getting out of law enforcement or retiring, what impact do you see that this is going to be on police departments across the country uh, as we go forward uh, with trying to uh, address the issue of gun violence? Well, I can tell you what's going to happen, Virgil. We're, we're going to have to revisit our mission, and there are going to be some, some services that we're not going to be able to deliver. And I'm not talking about the calls for service, um, you know, re, uh, not answering calls. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about, but there's going to be uh, probably, uh, uh, you know, there's going to be a point where we're going to have to reduce our investigative uh, units and, and our traffic units. We're going to have to go back and revisit, okay, what's, what are our priorities? And the priorities are going to always be answering calls for service and providing a safe community. Uh, and so those are things. This is a thing you have to look at also, Virgil, and to the listeners. Um, the court system is backlog. And not only is the court yeah. system backlog, we got a lot of people who would normally be in jail that are not on jail. We have a lot of people who would normally report to their parole and probation officers who are not doing that. We have a lot of people where people are hiding them out. Uh, they know that they're, they have warrants. Uh, it's a revolving door on a lot of these weapons. Uh, it's not just one person having a weapon. Basically, I can have a weapon, I can commit a crime, and I can go trade that weapon in. Um, these kids now are picking up their brass once they once – they, uh, fire weapon, they're picking up their brass uh, because they know that there's systems that can determine 
uh, where that bra- did that brass come from a gun that they might be in possession of when they're stopped by police. This is very uh, uh, methodical. People are very methodical uh, in, in doing this. So it's not, you know, and there's still those random uh, acts of violence. But one thing you said, I got to correct you on. There's no such thing as black on black crime. It's crime. It's just crime. Yeah. Yeah. It's just crime. Well, it, there's no such thing yeah, as black. And I don't. I know what you meant. There's no such thing. Yeah. And, and just really quick. And this is what's. This is where we gotta go. How much time we got before we go to a break? Because I don't want to go. Over. Uh, uh, we got. We got a couple of minutes. We. We, we got. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay, but this is one thing I want to say because I'm very passionate about this. We, we've got to stop accepting that there's going to be gun violence in the nation. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that, we've got to stop saying, well, Chicago had this many homicides this year, and we're expect, they're expecting to surpass, you know, surpass that. We're having this many mm-hmm. homicides. We, we've got to figure out a way. This is a health, this is a public health issue. This is not, necessarily, this yeah. is not all public safety. It's a public health, and when we come back, I'd like to talk about that part of it. It's a public health yeah. issue. Yeah. Well, it, you know, and Keith, you know, when I made that comment, you know, and maybe I didn't put it in the right context, I think, you know, what I was trying to say was that you, you get people put the narrative that, you know, with, with gun violence, especially in Chicago, in, because Chicago is just a city that has been plagued with uh with gun violence and you get people who want to put that narrative uh, of, of, of the demographics that is black on black. And, and like you stated that gun violence is gun violence. It, you know, we need to stop trying to get into the label of labeling uh, the demographics of when people are, are victims of gun violence. But Keith, we're coming up on our break, man. We're going to take this break and we're going to, Come back, and we're going to get back into this uh, topic of uh, the increase in gun violence and how law enforcement is a, is uh, addressing this issue. So, but you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Having trouble with math or science homework? Call Rose Holman Institute of Technology's Homework Hotline, a free math and science tutoring service for Indiana students in grades six to twelve. Call toll free one eight seven seven Ask Rose from seven p.m. to ten p.m. Eastern Time. Sunday through Thursday, and the Rose Holman College student will help you with your math or science questions. The tutors are patient, smart, and pretty cool. Remember, it's a free service and a free call. That's one eight seven seven A S K R O S E, or visit askrose.org. Hardy's Happy Hour isn't your average happy hour. From two to five p.m., double sliders are only a buck twenty-five. Call it a charbroiled hour, a double beef hour, a whole lot of melty cheese hour. Call it what you want. Happy hour at Hardy's is a good call. Offer for a limited time and only between two and five p.m. Price and participation may vary. That's not included. Listening to you and the law on the Bachelor News Radio Network, and uh, we want to 
hey, if you haven't checked out the Facebook page of You and the Law, definitely uh, take out your phone and uh, go to Facebook and type in search You and the Law 1 and like the page, share the page. There's a lot of uh, information that is put on our Facebook page, and so we just want to encourage everyone to to follow You and the Law on Facebook. And you can also follow us on Instagram as well. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at you underscore and the law, and you can follow us on Twitter at you and the law one. So again, uh, check out our uh, social media platforms and definitely follow us. And uh, you can also, uh, if you got uh, some comments or suggestions, uh, please leave those in the comment section. Uh, if you would like to reach us by email, you can reach us at you and the law. 2020 at gmail.com. That's com. And if you would like to um, be advertise or become a sponsor on You uh, and the Law, if you got a, a product that you're selling that you want to uh, get out to all of our listeners, uh, because we got listeners from all around the United States, so we definitely encourage you to, if you want to advertise, uh, you can reach out to us at labachelor40 at gmail.com. That's labachelor40 at gmail.com. You can also reach out to uh, uh, you and the law at you and the law 2020 at gmail.com uh, for information related to uh, advertising on you and the law podcast show on uh, the Bachelor News Radio Network. Um, Keith, um, you know, this is a great topic. Uh, it's a topic that, you know, we've talked about before. It's a topic that is in the, the spotlight in the news media. I've seen over the last 24 hours, CNN, MSNBC, all every every major news network has covered something related to to the rise in gun violence and the mass shootings. And um, one of the things that you know, there's so much data out there, Keith, and statistics. Uh, one of the things that I saw that stood, that stood out was the fact that the United States has uh, the 32nd highest rate of death from gun violence in the world. And so, you know, again, you got people who will – want to contradict that and and say that you know other other uh, countries uh, their gun violence is just as bad uh but i think you know when we're talking about what's going on here in the united states and and the call for some type of federal legislation but I, i'm going to ask you this question keith do you think uh, that the passage of any federal legislation is going to prevent the gun violence that we that we're seeing because there's already, you know, uh, laws, state laws, or federal laws. But do you think the passage of any other type of legislation that that's going to uh, reduce gun violence? So, Virgil, this is the deal. The the genie's out of the bottle. Okay, so we know that there's millions of guns out there. So genie's out of the bottle. The, mm -hmm. the thing that's going to help is the, 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 the homicide, the violence that we're seeing in the United States, especially in our, in our urban cities, 
we're, we're seeing a lack of conflict resolution. We're seeing a lack of respect for life. Um, what we're seeing is a public health issue. So by that, I mean it's not just one thing. You can make change all the legislation in the world, but if you don't get down to the root of the problem, that's the problem. You know, it's like putting a, putting a filling on a tooth that you need a root canal. You've you got to get down. In order to save that tooth, in order to find out to stop the pain, you've got to find out the root. And what, what you're going to find out is that a lack of educational conflict resolution, it's a lack of social programs, Boy Scouts of America, I mean, Boys Clubs of America, Girls Clubs of America, mm-hmm. uh, after school programs. There's a lack of, you know, the one of the worst things that ever happened in this nation is that we did away with the D.A.R.E. program. And there are police yeah. departments that maintain that program, but it didn't have the substance that it had in its heyday back in the 80s and 90s. And, and one component of that was talked about respect. And, and so we don't have that. And we're going to have to get local government officials, state government officials, medical professionals, education professionals, nonprofit professionals. We're going to have to get mental health professionals. We're going to have to get everybody who has a part in a community to help come up with solutions. It can be done because you have cities that have put more money into social programs and, and have noticed. But, but when you have a group of the age, the age of individuals committing these crimes are 14 years old to 23 years old, or even 25, there's a problem there. And, and, and so we've got to fix it. And talking to a young man that, was, that considers himself street smart, the first thing he said, there's no community program. There's no, there's not enough, you know, we used to do midnight basketball. Uh, we used to do this. There's none of those programs. So you have kids. There's no job. This is a young man that said he put, and he's not a bad young man. He put in 33 applications, and nobody's called him back. Wow. And I said, well, what, I said, well, what's the deal? You know, you know, tell me about the, you know, I said, what type of jobs? Because I'm thinking, and I'm also thinking it's a money thing. He said, mm-hmm. this is the deal. He said, we just want, kids just want to work. They want to feel like they're contributing to the household. They want to feel like they can buy their own things, a pair of tennis shoes, a shirt. You know, even if they're able to do that, even if they're able to put $20 in their mom's pocket or dad's pocket or pay a utility bill. Not that somebody asks because those are the things that they want to do. But when they can't do that, then they turn to the next thing. And so what looks good to them, easy money, when, you, when they're trying to go out here and put a, put a job. And the thing about it is they're not looking for these $30, $40 an hour jobs. They'll work at McDonald's. They're working Subway. They just want an opportunity to do something and, and, seem as though, and, and make it known that they want to contribute. That's the problem. Yeah. Public health issue. Not a public safety issue. It's a public health issue. Yeah. Well, and you know, Keith, and I think uh, a lot of people, you know, uh, look at law enforcement and saying that, you know, police departments, you're not doing enough. Uh, this is this is your fault. This is why all these shootings are happening. Uh, and that's, you know, Keith, there's nothing that 
that uh, any police department can do around the country uh, to prevent uh, uh, a mass shooting or a shooting that occurs in a neighborhood. Uh, That is just something that is just unrealistic unless even if you've got, uh, you know, two officers standing on on every corner, that might deter, but it's not going to prevent uh, uh, that that same type of, of, of violence. And so, uh, again, I think, you know, it just reminds me of, you know, especially, you know, one of the communities I was at in in, uh, in Arkansas where the gun violence was, was really high uh, uh, based on the, the size of the community uh, and the fact that individuals were just, uh, randomly shooting individuals, uh, there wasn't a reason behind it. And so what was left behind was the, the victims of, of those who were killed or seriously injured uh, trying to uh, decide, trying to asking questions, not decide, but asking questions, why did this happen? And, and so, uh, you know, you're right when so many communities have, done away with summer rec programs, things that would get uh, kids off the street, you know, in in an environment where it's structured, where there's activities going on. And, and you do have a lot of communities that have Boys and Girls Club, uh, but you just have a lot of, uh, a lot of other things that kids are involved with uh, that are deterring them away from being a part of those structured uh, activities, Keith. And uh, and so, you know, again, Keith, you know, the, the gun violence is is just something that you got some people who are saying, well, hey, you know, the, the, the gun violence is is just, uh, that's just something you got to live with. And, and I think that's really hard to uh, say that to a family that is a, a victim of, of gun violence, especially senseless gun violence, you know, where, you know, just like the family driving down in California where, you know, the the, the child was, was shot and killed uh, in the backseat of a car, you know, that those are things that, you know, law enforcement can't control. And, I, you know, the vast majority of law enforcement, Keith, they want to make sure that their communities are safe and they're, they're going to do everything they can to prevent those things from happening. But unfortunately, we continue to see uh, those type of uh, uh, those type of violence uh, are, are ha- occurring daily in our communities. Well, Laverne, you know, I, I got to throw it. Remember, I said there's four prongs to this thing, so I got I've got to tip it down. And right now, what people don't realize, I said that when you got almost a year backlog, uh, the pandemic. Yeah, in a nation that we've never seen before in our lifetimes. Now you know there was there was plagues and the depression and things like that, but in modern day uh, time, modern days in the twentieth, you know, twenty first century, twentieth uh, century, whatever, we've never seen such a thing where the pretty much the world came to the nation came to a standstill, and mm-hmm. you have for some people it was survival. Doesn't justify violence. But some people it was survival. And then I believe more people became targets uh, to individuals uh, that have no value of life. So 
you know, I'll talk a little bit about that when we when we come back. But I think the pandemic, and, and so when you talk about pandemic, the violent crime in the nation is a pandemic. Yeah, it's, it's a pandemic yeah. now. So we we can talk yeah. about that a little bit when we come back. Yeah, and, and you you're absolutely right, Keith. And you know now. The question has been since the country is opening back up, so many cities are opening back up and people are are getting out. Uh, there's uh, restrictions that have been lifted about wearing your uh, you know your face mask, but you you've still got individuals who are committing crimes wearing face masks, and so that in itself is is something that this country has never had to deal with. Uh, you're dealing with a pandemic. You're dealing with gun violence, and now you've got people who are saying, hey, I've been stuck in, a, in my house for a year, uh, and now we're going to get out. But, Keith, we're going to take well, well, this uh, well, break, well, and when we come me, back, me, we're going to get back into – Let's take this break angry. real quick. I mean, people are angry. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So let's take this break, and when we come back, we'll get back into this conversation about uh, the gun violence uh, across the uh, United States. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. You know, before Boost, our phone bill was obscene. So we switched to Boost and got lines for the whole family with unlimited gigs for a much more family-friendly price. It's nice to have a phone bill that doesn't require parental controls. Your family deserves better. Get four lines for only $25 per line, each with unlimited gigs. Plus, get up to four free Samsung J7 perks with six months of Hulu where you can stream all the shows everyone is talking about. All on the super reliable and super fast nationwide network. Boost makes it easy to switch. Switching makes it easy to save. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Back to you and the law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, we want to remind you that if you would like to get in on the on this conversation that we're having about uh, the um, the concern with the shootings across the country, that you can do so by uh, calling me in to six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. That's six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. If you got a comment, share that with. Uh, with our producer and he'll get that to us or he'll put you on air and uh, uh, you can share your, your thoughts and your concerns about this, uh, the, the topic that we're talking about. Um, and if you would just like to listen, Hey, feel free to listen, but, uh, and also the chat room is open. If you would like to uh, send us an email or a message uh, about this uh, topic that we're talking about uh, related to the gun violence and what is behind the, the spike in the gun violence uh, that we've seen um, just since, you know, uh, you know, Keith, uh, since the beginning of the year. And, you know, Memorial Day is Memorial Holiday weekend 
is it's not the start of summer, but that is a, a time where so many families get together, so many people travel uh, because the weather is nice. And this year uh, we've seen more people because of the pandemic getting out. And that has, uh, the question has, has what factor uh, has that been in with, with the shootings? I, you know, I want to share this with our listeners that, you know, what de- defines a mass shooting is four-plus victims. And I want to go back to in December of 2012, the gunman walked into Sandy Hook in Newtown, Connecticut, killed 20 children, six adults, killed himself. This goes back to statistics of of July of 2020. Since December of 2012, there have been more than 2,500 mass shootings uh, across the country. And that's not talking about the just average the the gun violence that, that occurs in in our major cities, small cities, and in uh, because every city is is impacted by this here. But when you talk about the the mass shootings. 2,500 mass shootings uh, that occurred from 20, December of 2012 to uh, July of 2020. That is that is a lot of, of that is a lot of death, and you got to look at remember the the Las Vegas shooting, uh, school shootings, uh, and you know just recently, Keith, uh, you know those students that were uh, impacted by the shooting in uh, Florida, uh, they graduated this year. And so you've got a, a group of kids, Keith, that throughout their whole education, they've had to deal with mass shootings. They've had to, to have drills about what you do when there is a potential mass shooter in your school. You know, Keith, I remember growing up, man, the only thing we had to worry about is practicing how to shelter when there was a, a, a severe weather, when there's a potential of a tornado coming. But now schools don't even hardly deal with the uh, with the impact of, of the weather. They've got to deal with how to protect the students if uh, a a shooter gets into a school. Well, you know, Bert, it goes back to that, that old adage that you kiss your kids uh, every day, tell me you love them. I mean, parents are in fear. I mean, can you just imagine the Parkland parents, you know, after all this, you know, having to send their kids back and, and, and things like that. So it, it's the unknown, and, and that's what I try to share with, with people, that even as police officers, we do uh, predictive policing. Uh, we do our crime crime analysis. We do our calm stats. But there are just sometimes, the majority of time, you're just going to miss it because there are things uh-huh. that you have no idea. And the thing that the thing that people are understanding, social media has, um, how do you say it, has caused problems to expand because a lot of these individuals, uh, we call them keyboard warriors. Uh, we talk about road rage. Let's talk about Facebook rage. Uh, and you have those individuals that say something, and then somebody gets mad, and someone else chimes in. And the next thing you know, uh, they're seeing each other in public. 
and then next thing you know, you've got somebody who's injured, there's a fight or, or worse. So, so there are so many different components that go into this, things we don't know about. You know, when you have 200,000-plus people in your city and you have 60 or 70,000 households, um, you don't know what's going on behind closed doors. Uh, there's a lot of crime that goes on, especially violent crime that are never reported. Uh, you can't track that. You can't provide that victim with the proper services because people don't know. What we're, what we're finding in, in law enforcement to the listeners, we're finding that you have individuals that want to take the law into their own hands. You have these individuals mm-hmm. who are victims, who are victims, and yeah. they refuse to cooperate because they don't want to be killed for, in quote, quote, snitching. And, and so it's, it's a big, it's all about intimidation. We talk about bullying. There's a lot of bullying going on in the nation right now when it comes to, to violence. And so, uh, I, you know, it's, it's, and it's a lack of fear from individuals. You know, when you and I were growing up, Virgil, the last thing we wanted to do, even for the minor infractions of stealing a piece of bubble gum or stealing a soda, you, man, you know, your parents, you better not, you talk about juvenile services going to juvenile, that was a no yeah. You you yeah. knew you were gonna get a beat down if that happened. These kids yeah. today, these these young adults today have no fear of going to jail. They have no fear of of being they, locked well, up it, or losing. They, they have no fear. Yeah, and you know, Keith, you, you know, you make a good point because this generation, they don't even have a fear of dying. You know, I've heard no. kids say, now, Virgil, "I'm gonna die say anyway." This generation, when we say this generation, we're not talking about every child. And I know I know you're not, but I just want to clarify yeah. to the listeners. We're not talking about every child in that age group that we're talking. We're talking those individuals that are in those age groups that are committing the violent crime. So I just wanted to yeah. put that in there real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, thank thanks for uh clarifying that for me, Keith. But yeah, I mean you've got kids who say, uh, I'm gonna die anyway. So they have no fear of dying and you know you and I are in the same age bracket, man, and and I have never had the mindset that I don't fear uh, dying. You know, it, it's going to happen anyway. I want to live as long as God allows me to live, but I don't, you know, you just got a, a segment of youth who I've just never, I just don't, I can't understand that, Keith, and I think, when you have a segment of youth that have that uh, type of of mindset that when they commit these crimes uh and and they kill another individual uh that that other they don't value that person's life uh because if if somebody may you know and Keith just decades ago we would there was so much conversation about you know gang violence you know gangs in, in L.A. and the gangs in New York and the gangs uh, across so many other major cities, you don't hardly hear any con- any uh, talk about the gangs anymore. It's, it's well, all strict. Well, well, it's not necessarily just, you know, because it was red or blue. Not that anymore. Yeah. It's about, yeah. It's about green. It's about green. It's about it's about territory. It's about respect. And so you have 
so many people um, that it's so it's not just one set. It's it's clicks, and so you have so many people that come together for a common cause to fight against someone else. So it's it's social media has helped. Um, the fact mm-hmm. of the matter is that you know when things these kids are smart, and so when they know that society looks at red and blue. So how do we how do we do that? When we go alternate we just look normal. And we have other signs or other you know, other things that um, that, you know, show that we're in a game, you know. And so social media, as I said, social media has been a you know, has been a uh, uh, it's been a wonderful thing but also it's been a nightmare for law enforcement when it comes to a lot of the crimes, you know, financial crimes, violent crimes, things like that. Uh, how do you think a lot of people get caught? Uh, they, they, they forget and they do uh, social media. How do they get caught? Uh, we had an incident yeah. here where a young lady caused a bunch of damage at a park in her car. It's put on social media. Uh, that's easy to trail. But it, yeah. it, it comes down to Virgil. It's not about the one-parent house. It's not, it's not about privilege. It's about, it's about respect. It's about when, when you don't hear the values of life, when you hear, um, well, don't let them get you. I mean, it's about survival for some of these kids. It's about, hey, yeah. I got to get you before you get me. It's, it's, like, it's like survival. That's scary because or yeah. Or it's about, let me do this to get noticed. You know, let me take a life so that I can get, I can get noticed. Um, and then it's about that revolving door of weapons, man. You know, what's a, you know, a 17-year-old, 16-year-old kill um, um, basically in a, in a shootout between someone else? Why is a 16-year-old, number one, why is a 16-year-old out at 2 o'clock in the morning and where does a 16-year-old get an AR-15? Those are the questions we got. That's why I say it's a public health issue. I mean, where, where, where is that coming from? Where, where's mom yeah. and dad? You, you, where's grandma? Where are, you, where are the guardians? The guardians? If, if mom and dad are not in the picture, where are the guardians? Uh, and so yeah. uh, that, those are the things that we've got to figure out a way to, to, to address. But until we accept this as a public health Issue and until we accept it as a as a lack of conflict resolution, and, and until we realize that making these laws to have more guns and, and putting people, um, you know, putting people, um, uh, you know, putting more guns in people's hands, and another thing, we just don't have. It, it's crazy. We just don't have people that focus on it. Everybody's working. Uh, everybody's working overtime to survive. So there's not one, one, you know, one easy answer. There's so many different things. Uh, and so yeah. I just want the listeners to, 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 to understand where I'm coming from and where we're coming from. It's not, you know, this is nothing new to the, but the pandemic and, and other things have, have uh, magnified this thing where people are really now paying attention. But I will tell you here in our city, Virgil, the, the community, and especially the communities of color, have said 
not all it's not all the police it's not all law enforcement's responsibility to raise our kids and to address things that should be uh, addressed at home or in school you know things like that so I think it's the technology too man think about it what yeah. sales violence yeah. violence violence and, yeah and, and let me let me let me say this too Virgil. In, in some of the last shootings that we've had, mass shootings, have they not found that these individuals had some uh, ties to uh, video games? Yeah. They were, some of them yeah. were gamers. And, some and of they them. Got yeah. really deep into the game. Yeah, not all, but some of them were gamers. Um, mm-hmm. And then there was that component of mental illness. We, we didn't even talk about that. So yeah. there's so much going on, you know, here in, in the nation. It's not just one area, or one, you know, one thing that links to it. Yeah. Yeah, Keith. And, you know, we're getting ready to come up on the last minutes of the show, and this has this been a great topic to talk about. And, and, and hopefully, you know, uh, our listeners have definitely, uh, you know, the information that we put out that we're talking about is something that, uh, you know, the things that we are sharing with you are things that's not coming from Chief Green, uh, Chief Humphrey. This is information that uh, is is that you can find yourself uh, uh, and look it up. But one of the things that I would like to share before we end the show, Keith, um, and also remind our listeners that if you miss any parts of this show, uh, definitely uh, uh, check us out on the rebroadcast shows on the uh bachelor news uh not airtime dot pro and also uh at uh the uh, the bachelor news radio network dot com uh backslash la bachelor and uh listen to the rebroadcast shows but Keith, this was a, a research poll that was put out by the pew research poll shows that and when you get into the politics side of it, is that the the rank and file Republicans have grown even more reluctant about reform. Uh, only uh, about 37% support banning assault-style weapons, which a lot of these mass shootings uh, has been the, that's been the weapon of choice is some type of assault-style assault uh, rifle, and so. Uh, Again, you know, I started off this comment, the show talking about how people put the politics into these horrible mass shootings. And, and Keith, every, I believe everyone thought when the tragic incident where the first graders killed back in 2012 that that would spur some type of serious act for Congress to to do something. Uh and it, it didn't happen with the death of 20 children. And so uh, you, you just got, again, we need to take the politics out of, out of it, and politicians need to do what is, is, what is best for uh, the country, we'll what is best mind. for it. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, Keith, you know, again, brother, it, it, there's just this, this is a conversation we're going to continue to have because – Unfortunately, we're going to continue to see uh, alarming number of, of gun violence uh, across the country. 
Well, we're going to we're going uh, to claim we're going to claim a victory over gun violence. We're going to claim that. Yeah, well, you know, as always, Keith, you know, uh, to our listeners and to, you know, everybody that, you know, if you see something, say something. You see something, report that uh, to to local law enforcement uh, and do everything you can to prevent uh, a tragedy, uh, uh, you know, a tragic incident from happening. But, Keith, it's been a, a great, uh, a great uh, episode of, of you and the law. And, uh, brother, we're going to be back here next Tuesday with another great topic for our listeners. So uh, I want to thank you for sitting next to me as we uh, have these conversations about uh, policing in America. Well, God, hey, brother, love you, man, and God bless our listeners, and we'll, and we'll see you next week. All right. Well, you've been listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network.
Up to my soul, that my 
he's nowhere, not just pure plus four. Always pushing that we formed an image, there's no need to lie. When it comes to being plus one, it's just me, myself, and I.
Surprise. 